We live in a world today that is all too ready to give us advice on how to live. And you don't have to strain to listen. Messages are coming to us from directions all around us telling us what to believe, what to think, how to live, how to act. Voices come to us telling us what truth is, what integrity is, what morality is. And the problem is we cannot always trust where these voices are coming from. The entertainment media and the print media all claim to have answers for us. Education, philosophy, even religion would have us to believe that the answers are there if we just listen to the voices. In addition to all of that, there are far too many today in circles of influence all around us who would have us believe that we already have deep within us all we need. We just need to tap into our inner selves and find all that we need for success, for happiness, for direction, for answers. This morning, I'd like for us to challenge ourselves to be listening for those voices of truth that come from God's word. It's not my opinion, not some religionist, not a college professor, not an entertainment celebrity, not someone trying to sell a book or even your best friend looking out for your best interests, but truth that comes from God's word. Number one in your outlines today, God says, I love you. Many scriptures tell us about God. Let me share just three with you this morning that I selected for a reason. Malachi 3.6 tells us that God is immutable. That simply means he never changes. He's constant. Isaiah 9.6 tells us that God is our everlasting father. And then 1 John 4.8, that very familiar verse that tells us that God is love. And when I put these three verses together, what it tells me is that he will always be love. He can never change from being love and still be God. He will always be love. It's his nature. It's who he is. It is who he always will be. We have that beloved verse from the third chapter of John. For God so loved the world that he gave us his son. Listen to God's voice today saying, I love Number two, the cross says, I lean towards you. Romans 5, 8 reminds us that God demonstrates his own love for us. And this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some of your translations will say he extended his love to us. Some translations say he showed his love. I like the one that says he proved his love for us. The cross was a tangible action. It was proof positive of God saying, I love you. Hear the message of the cross today, saying, I lean toward you. Roman crucifixion crosses were set into the ground intentionally at a slight angle, preventing those from who hung on them from resting against them to any degree whatsoever. It was intentional. That very slight angle off balance was also meant so that the person's body weight pulling against those nails would be a constant, unrelenting source of pain. The cross of Jesus leaned toward 
those who were gathered that day on Calvary, those who crucified him, those who watched, those who kept their distance, those close by. He leaned toward them all. Those close to that cross were likely spattered with blood drops. Those soldiers who had brutalized him now walking around that cross, no cross, no doubt, wore shoes that were stained with the blood of our blessed Lord Jesus. The voice of God saying, I love you. And the message of the cross saying, I lean toward you, are reflected in that wonderful hymn we sing. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. He took our sins in his body, and in so doing, he leaned toward you and me. We also need to know today that when we willfully, when we purposefully sin, it is as if we trample underfoot Christ's body and blood. Some would say, oh, pastor, I would never do that. I could never do that. No Christian would ever do that. And I would say, you need to listen to the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 29 says this, how much more do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the very spirit of grace? That verse is not talking about younger unwise, foolish people. It's not talking about people who are hostile to the gospel. That verse is talking about professing Christians who choose to sin and in so doing insult the very spirit of grace. When we reject Christ's claim on our lives, we are rejecting him. And it is in the very same way, figuratively trampling him under our feet. As you and I stand at the foot of the cross, we see the fact that God says, I love you. The cross says, I lean toward you. And then Jesus says, I long to save you. Some of you have seen that print, that bookmark, maybe a plaque that says, I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And he said, this much. And then he spread out his arms and died. This morning, we need to understand that the truth of that thought is found in John 15, 16. Jesus said to the disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. There are two applications of that verse, John 15, 16. The first one is relatively easy. It was taking place at the uh, it, still in that upper room setting on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was talking to his disciples and he was telling them that they were to go and bear much fruit for him. But there's also a wider application of that verse as well. Sometimes it's misunderstood. It's misinterpreted as a, a verse leading to the concept of what some call the elect. And with that, the thought of predestination. Now you can choose how you choose to uh, embrace that one way or another. But I will tell you this very emphatically, John 15, 16 has absolutely nothing to do with that. 
First of all, Jesus is clearly speaking to the 11 in this upper room. Judas had already left to begin to put into place what he was going to be doing in the next hour. Chosen in this verse refers to the fact that he had called those 11 to follow him just three verses later. In verse 19, he used the very same verse again, clearly referring to the original disciples and to the calling he had placed on their lives. Chosen doesn't mean chosen without choice. What John 15, 16 is saying is the very same thing that John says repeatedly throughout his gospel, and that is Calvary did not just happen. There are people today who would try to have us believe that Jesus was a good man, he had a good cause, but he just got caught up, swept up into things that spiraled out of control, and it ended up costing him his life. Don't you dare believe it. Jesus said, I have the authority to lay my life down. I choose to lay my life down. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Calvary did not just happen. The fact that he longs to save us and chose through his death to save us is a voice that goes against the voices of the world. And so we have to choose which voice are we going to listen to. Reagan Courtney, many years ago, wrote these words, it was his love that sent him there. It was his love that breathed the prayer, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It was his love that said, I offer myself for you. It was my sin upon the cross. It was my Jesus who paid the cost to set me free to live, to laugh, to sing. It was his love that said, my grace is the gift I bring. It's his gift of grace today. Because next in your outlines, I am in lovable, unlovable, and so are you. Jesus knew what we were. He knew that we were sinners who would choose to sin and reject him, and yet he went to a cross for us. He doesn't require us to change our lives first and clean up our act and get ourselves ready before we turn to him in faith. How many people heal themselves and then wait to go see their doctor after they're feeling better? doesn't make sense. We don't do that. And in the very same way, Jesus said, I didn't come to heal people who were already well and clean and whole. I came for the people who are sick and dying in sin. It's a gift of his grace also because I am undeserving and so are you. Why should he love me, a sinner undone? Why? Tell me, why should he care? Why? I do not merit the love he has shown. Why? Tell me, why should he care? Jesus, the debt of my sin fully paid. He paid the ransom for me. Why? Because of grace. And that's hard for many to understand. The voices of the world don't talk about grace. The voices of the world talk about being practical and logical, and taking care of things yourself. And that's why we feel like we have to earn it. We feel like we have to prove ourselves. We feel like we have to do something to deserve it. But the very fact that we will never earn it or deserve it is exactly why he came to us. 
right now. We are right on the verge of just in a few more weeks beginning to celebrate the Advent season. Celebrating that time of year that God came to us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to pause at this point in our sermon. I'm going to ask those who are going to help us serve communion to come down and help us prepare for that. The 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us, For what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we come to the Lord's table, we are to examine ourselves. We are to take some good looks. Our first look is to look back. Verse 26 says that we proclaim the Lord's death. Our Lord gave himself completely and unselfishly to fulfill that ancient need of a sacrifice for the atonement of sin. Romans 5.8 reminds us that he did this while we were still sinners. It's been said that it's easy to love the lovable but hard to love the unlovable. Jesus died on a cross for everyone, even those unlovable ones. We also look within. Verse 28 says a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. Self-examination needs to be revealing to us more than just a cursory glance. How are we living? What are we doing with our lives? Are we striving for holiness? Is Jesus the priority of our lives. A state employment office posted a sign over a full-length mirror. And as people walked by that sign on their way to a job interview and saw themselves in the mirror, they were directed to the sign above it that said, would you hire this person? Someone else working in that office had a little sign on their desk facing the applicants that, that asked, are you ready to go to work? Later in our 1 Corinthians passage, the Apostle Paul said that the reason for this examination was to see if we are fit for service. And he had good reason to address this because in that setting during Holy Communion, there were some coming in arguing among themselves. There were others who were using this as an occasion to get drunk. And Paul even went as far as to say, in effect, you better examine yourselves or else God's going to do it for you. 
I like that sign out on the highway that said, it has that God sign that God says, don't make me come down there. We need to be examining ourselves. The third look is for us to look around. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, we who are many are one body. We need to observe community. We need each other. Even all the way back to that Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter, verses 9 through 12, talk about how we help each other. One person is there to help another when he or she falls. We encourage each other. We protect each other. We strengthen each other. So Proverbs 27 also reminds us that as iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen each other as well. And then we also need to take that fourth look. We look ahead. Verse 26 also says that we proclaim his death until he comes again. We look to the future. Those scripture passages that we have throughout the New Testament about Jesus coming again use words like watching and waiting to show an active anticipation, not passive in any way. Someone wants asked pastor and evangelist Dwight L. Moody, if you knew the Lord was going to return tonight, how would you spend the rest of your day? And without any hesitation, he said, I would not do anything any different from what I do every day. How we look forward with hope and with anticipation and expectation to our Lord Jesus coming once again to receive us unto himself. That is what we celebrate today.
You'll find on one end of the container a, a layer that you simply peel back to uh, access the little tablet of bread and then you turn it over and on the other side is another top that you can peel back for the juice. Would you pray with me? Father, as we pause in these moments, we do so with hearts filled with gratitude for what your Son, our Savior and Lord Jesus, was willing to do for us. Willing to give his body to be broken, to be bruised. Willing to shed his life's blood for us. How we thank you for that wonderful and deep love that brings us into full fellowship with you. How we thank you that through his sacrificial gift for us, we can have life eternal. Bless us, Father, as we seek your will and your way for our lives and as we seek to remind ourselves each day of that tremendous sacrificial gift that he gave for us. We do this now in remembrance of him. In his name we pray. Amen. Jesus took the bread. He broke it. He gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' blood represented for his followers and for us today a new agreement. The New Testament calls it the new covenant. No longer would that old covenant sacrificial system of sacrificing animals be needed. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament is filled with illustrations of how Jesus became that ultimate sacrifice for us, ending the need for those continuing sacrifices which could only partially cleanse from sin. His shedding of blood for us cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In the same way, he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. God says, I love you. The cross says, I lean toward you. And Jesus said, I long to save you. And then to seal it, the Holy Spirit says, I will live inside you. Revelation chapter 3 reminds us of, of how when Jesus knocks and we open the door of our hearts, he comes to live within us. The 14th chapter of John tells us much about the Holy Spirit coming to be with us and live with us forever. The 14th chapter of John has a lot to say to us about God's Holy Spirit. Sometimes understanding the Holy Spirit can be difficult or confusing. It's not meant to be. But sometimes we get a little bit confused when we try to understand the nature of the Holy Spirit, the makeup of the Holy Spirit, who and what the Spirit is, the Trinity. For your homework today. Let me suggest that you take a much more practical approach. Do a scripture study on the work of the Holy Spirit. 
the works of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? We know that there are several works of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. The Scripture comforts us. The Spirit convinces us of truth. It convicts of sin. It draws us to God. It changes us. It indwells us. Spend some time this week examining how the Holy Spirit works and is intended to work in our lives. Even going all the way back to that Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 36, verse 27, God said, I will put my spirit in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16, as well as 2 Timothy 1.14, also remind us of how God's spirit comes to dwell in our lives. And finally, this morning, we need to hear the voice of the Bible saying, you can know him. There are several ways that God makes that known to us. First of all, he makes us his children. John 1, verses 12 and 13 remind us how when we come to him and receive him and believe in his name, that he gives us the right to be called his children. 2 Corinthians 6, 18 says that we become God's sons and daughters. We also bear his name. Traditionally, when a woman marries a man, she takes on his name. She's still an individual, but she also becomes a part of his identity, who he is. Christ gave us his name. We are Christians. People from Texas are Texans. People from Florida are Floridians. I refer to those folks from Mims just north of here as Mimites. <laughs> they don't always see the humor in that that I do, but we are Christians because we take on the identity of Christ in our lives. We are who and what we are because of Christ. He gives us his name. What a blessing. We also have his inheritance. Galatians 4, 7 says, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you an heir. Romans 8, 17 says that we are co-heirs of the kingdom of God with Christ. Satan tries to keep us from hearing the voices that we're talking about today. Satan tries to convince us that God does not love us. He tries to tell us that no one can love us that way. It's just not right. It's not natural. No one can have that kind of unconditional, complete love. And in that respect, Satan's absolutely right. It's not natural. It is supernatural. God's love is not dependent on anything else, on us earning it or deserving it. It is because we do not deserve it that he gives it to us freely. Satan tries to just keep us from accepting that. He does everything that he can to keep us from hearing the voices of truth today. Don't be misled. Have you ever made a decision about receiving something based on its guarantee? My last point for us today is that we need to hear the voice of God saying, He seals our future. He seals our inheritance with a promise of earnest value. You know what earnest money is. It's a deposit that you put down sealing a transaction. 
Listen to these words, Ephesians 1.13. Having believed, that's us, Christians, believers. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing you your inheritance. Hear the voices today. Hear the voice of God saying that he always has been and always will be love. He will never stop loving us because that's who he is. He is love. The eighth chapter of Romans reminds us in no uncertain terms of how absolutely nothing will ever be able to separate us from that love. Listen to the voices today. God says, I love you. The cross says, I lean toward you. Jesus says, I long to save you. And the Bible says, you can know him. It's not conservative or liberal, however they're defined. It's not about interpretation or a judgment of the mind. It's the opposite of politics and power and prestige. It's about a simple message and whether you believe. It's still the cross. It's still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets the captive free. It's still the name of Jesus that has the power to save the lost. It's still the cross. We can water down theology and preach the word to suit our needs. We can justify sweet, subtle lies that are wrapped in noble deeds. We can alter our convictions to adapt to social whims, but we cannot change the gospel or the truth contained therein. Though some may say it's man's religion or ancient history, the cross of Jesus still remains the price for sin that sets us free. It's still the cross. It's still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets the captive free. It's still the name of Jesus that has the power to save the lost. It's still the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us these reminders today from your word. And we pray that you would help us to not only just listen, but to heed these voices of truth that you have given us today. How we thank you for your wonderful, deep love for us. How we thank you that Jesus on the cross leaned to us, showing us that wonderful and deep love and how we thank you for the promise of your spirit and all the promises of your word that carry us and sustain us and encourage us every day. May we claim these truths into our lives today in such a way that others would see them lived out through us. We make our prayer today in that wonderful, strong, precious name of Jesus.